If you have your Bibles with you today, please open to Psalm 139. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. Psalm 139. I know this is a familiar psalm to, to many of you. Many of you probably memorized this one, hid it in your hearts. Uh, so if you were able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. In a world that is filled with lies, you give us absolute, objective truth. Flowing from the lungs of God, we recognize that this word is God-breathed. And as we approach it, we don't approach it like we do any other book because this is written by a God who's perfect, who's just, who's sovereign. So Lord, we need to pay attention. Open our ears. Jesus When you taught your people, you said over and over, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So unclog our ears this morning. Open our hearts and our minds that we might receive your word. And then after we receive it, may we be doers of your word, not hearers only. Grow us in your grace and knowledge today. For those who need to be encouraged, encourage them today, Father. For those who need to be challenged, challenge us, Lord grow us in our faith. For those who need to be saved, may they hear the gospel today and trust you for salvation. We know that you are a God who forgives and restores, and we praise you and you alone. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. You know, one of my memories as a child was thinking to myself, man, I wish I could just know everything about everything. 
I mean, if I had a question, wouldn't it be neat to also have the answer to that question? That was one of my goals as a child, to try to know everything about everything. Or if someone has a question, man, I could give them a correct or a right response to that. I would think about that as a child. I also know some moms, I'll talk about that on Mother's Day, some moms who wished they could be everywhere all the time. I've met some moms the last couple of weeks who have a lot of children, and their children play a lot of sports. I've met some moms whose their children go to different schools, and they say, man, it would be so nice to not have to be at each sporting event at a different time. I wish I could do it all at the same time. I wish I could drop them all off at different schools at the same time. I wish I could be everywhere all the time. You ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel like that? And those thoughts go through our mind. Wish we could know everything. Wish we could be everywhere all the time. But at the end of that, we realize in our humanity, that's just not possible. That we're limited. We're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our presence. But today, as we turn to this psalm, Psalm 139, it teaches us that God is transcendent above and beyond our limitations. And probably the best expression of God's omniscience or the fact that He knows everything and His omnipresence that He's everywhere is right here in this Psalm. Psalm 139 teaches us about the transcendent God who knows all things and is everywhere all the time. So today we're going to walk through these verses, these 18 verses of Psalm 139. And as we do this, I want you to see those things that we've already talked about. First of all, I want you to see the omniscience of God in verses 1 through 6, that He does know everything. In verses 7 through 12, I want you to see the omnipresence of God, that He is everywhere. But then we're going to look at one third and final point, verses 13 through 18. And we're going to see the life that God has made. The God who is all-knowing and all-present has decided to create life. And it's a life that He has made. Let's look at those three things today in our text. First of all, verses 1 through 6, the omniscience of God, the fact that He knows everything. I want you to listen to these verses one more time. This is verses 1 through 6. David says, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And David says and prays, such knowledge is it's, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. You know, as human beings, we search for knowledge all the time. We go to school. We go to college. We go to graduate schools just to keep on learning, pursuing knowledge of certain topics. I know we have two medical doctors in our audience today, Drs. Johnson and Johnson here today. And I know that these two men have put in hours, weeks, years studying biology 
and chemistry and anatomy, medicine, learning about the human body, learning about how to treat the patient. Yet I know that these men, as much of they've, as they've studied, they don't even know every single thing about the human body. They don't know about every single drug that's ever been made. In fact, I'm sure in their jobs, they have to keep on learning the new things that come out, the new things that are found in science and through medicine. They've got to keep learning. Their search will never end. Same thing with a lawyer. A lawyer who goes to law school, takes the bar exam, might make a great grade. Yet laws constantly change, don't they? They have to constantly learn the the past and the future, the things that change. There's this need to keep on learning. How, how about you? Maybe your field of study, your, your job. You might have reached a very high level, but I'm sure you don't know every single thing there is to know about your topic. Even as a pastor, I'm called to keep on learning, keep on studying. Why? Because we can't know everything. We have limits to our knowledge. As spouses, we don't know everything about our spouse, even if we've been married for 50 plus years. We have to keep on learning about our children. We're extremely limited. So we see, we recognize our limitations, but we encounter a text like this right here in Psalm 139. And we find out that the Bible says something completely different about the knowledge of God. While you and I have limitations in our knowledge, this text right here says that God's knowledge is comprehensive and it's intimate, not just of some things, but of all things. Walk with me through this text. Verse 2. This text says that God knows everything about me and you. First of all, verse 2, he says... He knows our physical lives. Look at verse 2. He says, God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know what the word picture behind that is? What time I went to bed last night and laid down? What time I got up this morning? Do you know what time I went to bed last night? Do you know what time I got up this morning? You don't. And I don't know that about you either. But the Bible says that God knows. He knows when we went to bed, when we laid down when we rose up this morning, that he's familiar with our physical lives. Verse 3 says he's familiar with our route in life or our path. Look at verse 3. God, David says, God, you search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. My path, in other words, the way I'm going in life, where I am, what I'm doing. If you've ever felt lost in life, like God is not with you, He doesn't know what's going on, and you're just wandering down a path, listen to this verse. He knows your path. He knows exactly where you are and what you're doing. In fact, this verse says He's acquainted with all of your ways. So He knows our physical life. He knows our path. Thirdly, look at verse 4. He knows our speech. Verse 4 says this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Do you know what you're going to say later today? Do you know what you're going to say tomorrow? 
we make plans and preparations for what we're going to say. I have it right here in front of me. But I can't tell you exactly what I'm going to say in five minutes. I might change it up. But God knows. He knows what I'm going to say tomorrow. He knows what I'm gonna, how I'm going to speak to my wife or my kids next week if he allows me to live. He's acquainted even with my words. So you see the psalmist walking through our physical life, our, our path, our, our speech life, but there's another area here. Before we get to it, let me ask you a question. What's the most private area of life? Where are you able to keep things locked up so that no one else knows? It's not our physical life, is it? Because people can see us. It's not our speech life because people can hear us. It's right here. It's our thoughts. We can keep our actions, we can keep our words away from people. We can close that off, but we can close up our thoughts so that maybe not even our spouse knows what we think. Now, we try to conquer that, right? As human beings, we give things like a lie detector test to read someone's heart and his thoughts. But even those are not perfect. And we can keep things locked up in our minds. But did you see what this text said about our thoughts? Look at verse 2, the second part of verse 2. David says, Lord, you discern my thoughts from afar. That the most intimate, secret part of our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, God says, I know them. I'm familiar with all your ways. I discern your thoughts from afar. For the non-believer, that might sound very scary that a God knows exactly what you're thinking. Good news for you that God will give you His grace in Jesus Christ. You can know Him as your Savior and your Lord. But for the believer, I want you to know that's a very comforting thing because this teaches us that you can actually pray to God in your thoughts. If you're ever by yourself, unable to speak, unable to move, and you wanted to reach out to God in your heart, in your mind, this text says that God knows your thoughts and that you can pray to Him even in your thoughts. He discerns them from afar. And as David writes this, he goes through, yes, your, your physical, your your speech life, your, your mental life, and he gets down to verse 6, and what does he say? He says, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. The first thing he says is, God, that's too wonderful for me. That's better than me. In other words, it doesn't matter how many master's degrees or PhDs I might get in this life. God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your capacity for knowledge is way beyond mine. One of my favorite Christian artists growing up was Stephen Curtis Chapman. And Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song a few years ago called God is God. Here's a line from that song. He said this, God is God and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture he has painted. God is God and I am man. And I will never understand it all because only God is God. That's what David's saying. God, you're too wonderful for me. But he also says, God, you're too high. And I can't 
I can't attain it. Think about something being too high. I remember Brock, when he was about four years old, I got him a football helmet. By the way, University of Tennessee football helmet. Surprise, right? And I put it up in the top of his closet. And I remember he was four years old, he was in his room, and he went over to his closet, and he looked up at that helmet, and he put his arms up, he's trying to reach it. Uh, you know, and it's six feet off the ground. He's four years old. And no matter what he did, that helmet was always going to be too high. He could try to reach for it. He could try to get it, but he just couldn't get it. What did he need? He needed his father to get it, right, and bring it down and put it on his level. And of course I did. When I think about that story, I think about this verse. God, your knowledge is too high. We can stand and we can reach up. Ah, try to attain that, but we just can't get there. So we stand in awe of God saying, God, you are wonderful. You are high. I can't attain that. You're omniscient. I'm not. Reminds me of Isaiah 55. Listen to these verses. Isaiah says, from my thoughts, or speaking of God, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is omniscient. But secondly, this morning, this text goes to verse 8. And David moves into what we call omnipresence. Listen again closely, verses 8 through 12. David says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seeds, see, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. I love a good illustration or a good story, especially when I'm learning something new. You know, when I was in seminary, I was in homiletics class, preaching class, my professor was Dr. Kick. And he'd ask us as students, he'd say, when your church members go home after that sermon and they're sitting around eating lunch, what do they remember about your sermon? We thought about it. And then he responded, he said, they're going to remember your stories. They're going to remember your illustrations. You know, Jesus Christ knew that. Because when Jesus taught, have you ever thought about this? Jesus was the master storyteller. He was the master illustrator. Think about this. When Jesus wanted to teach people God's love for the lost, what did he do? He told a story. Hey, let me tell you about someone searching for a lost coin. Let me tell you about a father who searches for his lost son. Let me tell you about a shepherd who searches for his lost sheep. He gives an illustration. When Jesus says, if I want to teach you about the gospel going into the world, he says, let me tell you a story. There was the sower who got some seed, and he went out and started throwing it around. Some landed on the, the path, some landed on the good soil, some landed on the thorns. You know the story. If he said, I want to teach you about mercy, what does he do? He tells you a story. He says, let me tell you about the good Samaritan who had mercy on this guy who was beat up. 
a good story, a good illustration. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that people remembered illustrations. Guess what? In this psalm, verses 8 through 12, David gives two illustrations. Two illustrations to show you the omniscience of God. Or, excuse me, the omnipresence of God. The first illustration is captured in verses 7 through 10. You can look back through those verses as we talk about this illustration. This is an illustration teaching geography. Anybody remember geography class or teach geography class? Did you know that David uses geography as an illustration in the Bible? Here's what he does. Watch this. Verse 7, he starts out by asking a question. He asks a geography question. What does he ask? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, what part of geography can I go to to get away from God? That's the question. Where can I go to get away from your presence? And he starts using geography in verse 8. Here it is. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I ascend, which way is he pointing? Up. Ascension is up. So David says, if I go up, God you're there. What's the next point? The rest of verse 8. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the grave, down, if I die. What does he say about God? You're there. So if I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning... Oh, what does that mean? The wings of the morning, dawn, sunrise is the illustration behind that. The wings of the morning. If you're standing in Israel, if you're standing anywhere, which direction does the sun rise? East. So he's pointing east. If I take the wings of the morning, in other words, if I go east, what's the next phrase? And dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea you're standing in Israel, which way is the Mediterranean Sea? West. You see what he's doing? If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. If I go east, if I go west, what's the answer? Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Whoa, we're beyond presence. Yes, God is saying, I am present with you, and not only am I with you if you go up, down, east, or west, but I'm guiding you as I hold your hand. Do you see that? Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. It doesn't matter which way you go. God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he's not only with you, but he is leading you and holding you. That's the first illustration. The second one is in verses 11 and 12. Verses about darkness. Have you ever thought about getting away from someone? Maybe you play the game hide and seek. Maybe it's at night. Flashlight tag. My son calls it manhunt. Right? That's, 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 the, that's the new name, I guess. Manhunt is the, is the rough, tough name for, for hide and seek. You go outside in the dark, 
and you hide from your friends in the dark, it's harder to find, right? Because you and I are limited by darkness. If it's dark outside, we can't see very well, right? We need a flashlight to play manhunt. Think about this room. Not, not many windows in this room. You have some on the door. But what if, what if we turned out all the lights and we shut off all the lights, even the security lights in this room, closed all the doors, made sure no light was coming in. Maybe we sat in here at 2 a.m. It was completely dark. If I wanted to move around, you wouldn't know where I was going, would you? You wouldn't even know where I was. I wouldn't know where you were. Because you and I are limited by light and darkness. So the psalmist says, David says, God, what if I turn out all the lights on you? What if, I sh- what if I shut out the sun, shut out any source of light in my life? God, will you know where I am? Can you find me? Maybe this was in the minds of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Can, can you find me? What does God say in verses 11 and 12? Or excuse me, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. I love this next phrase. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Did you see the simile that was used in this expression? David says, for darkness is as light with you. You see, you and I, beloved, we're limited by darkness and light. We need a flashlight. But this psalm says, darkness does not hinder an omniscient, omnipresent God. He is with us wherever we go. I want to read you this quote from J.I. Packer concerning these two things, omniscience and omnipresence. Listen closely to this. Packer says, Just as I am never left alone, so I never go unnoticed. He says, I can hide my heart, my past, and my future plans from those around me, but I cannot hide anything from God. I can talk in a way that deceives my fellow creatures as to what I really am, but nothing I say or do can deceive God. God sees through all my reserve and pretense. He knows me as I really am, better indeed than I know myself. A God whose presence and scrutiny I could evade would be a small and trivial deity. But the true God is great. This God is always with me. His eye is always upon me. Living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator. Amen? Well, that leads us to our third and final point this morning. Because what we're going to see is that an all-knowing, omniscient God, an all-present, omnipresent God, teaches us that His knowledge and His presence goes along with His creation as God chooses to make a life in the womb of the mother, a life that God calls precious fearfully and wonderfully made. Look again at verses 13 through 18. God, God says, or David says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me 
when as yet there was none of them. We'll stop right there. Four months ago, on January 22nd, 2018, that marked the 45th anniversary of the decision of Roe versus Wade. Beloved, since that time, in 1973, there have been over 60 million abortions in the United States of America. There have been more aborted babies since 1973 than there have been casualties in every U.S. war combined. Actually, the number is far more stunning than that. If you took all the casualties of all the U.S. wars and combined them, you would have to multiply that number by 50 just to reach the number of abortions that have taken place in the United States since 1973. This is obviously a heart-wrenching statistic. We ask the question, what has happened? Why has this happened? Why has our society so easily accepted abortion? And I will tell you that I think the fundamental answer is completely theological. It has everything to do with God. Because as a nation, I believe that we have denied our Creator. We've denied the transcendent God who created us, and what the Bible says, a God who created us in His image. As Americans, we've turned to the humanistic viewpoint that man is an evolved creature. And our country has accepted the fact that humanity is simply a mass of material, no better than a rock or a tree. We've accepted the Marxist totalitarian idea that we can easily liquidate masses of people because there's no external reason to see their worth. You see, we've eliminated the image of God from creation. Genesis chapter 1 teaches us, beloved, that when God created man, He created man different than He created any other part of creation. He created man in His image. And what that means is that God took his finger and put his fingerprint on every single person, male and female. That teaches us that God made us persons with the capacity not only to know each other, but to have a personal relationship with God. God did not make any other part of creation that way. He only gave that to man. He wrote on man's heart his law as being part of being made in the image of God. He made man a moral agent. He made you a person. But our country has changed God's standard into a man-made standard. You see, it's God's standard that gives us worth and dignity and value because we're made in His image. But their government has taken that away. And we're judged now by what the government says and not what God says. Dr. Doug Kelly from RTS said it this way. He said that apart from the belief that mankind is created in the image of God, the divinely derived dignity and liberty of human beings simply disappears. He says it's like playing dominoes. You played, you've seen the, or, or having the domino effect rather. You know what the domino effect is. You set up the dominoes and you knock one over and it knocks the next one over and knocks the next one over. Think about this. This is the domino effect that has brought us to this point in our country. The first domino was denying God. You see, when you deny God, that knocks over a domino, and it hits the next one. And the next one is 
denying that God created. When you deny God, you take away the fact that God created all things from nothing by the word of His power. And when you deny God and you deny God creating, you deny God created in His image. That there's nothing distinct about humanity. That there's no value, no dignity that comes with being made in the image of God. So denying God leads to denying creation, leads to denying the image of God. And when you deny the image of God, you take away your worth, your value, the sanctity of life. A man is nothing more than a rock or a tree. We see that domino effect. We see the importance of Genesis 1. And that brings us to our text today in Psalm 139. Because right here in this text, David is not talking about a mass of material. David is talking about a person in the womb that God created. That God created in the womb of the mother, as this text says, knitting that baby together. That God created something that was wonderfully made And you see where knowledge or omniscience, you see where presence or omnipresence in this case goes right into the womb of the mother. Because the God who is all-knowing and all-present is the God who created this life in the mother's womb. And God says, I value this life. I am with this life. I am present with this life. This life is wonderfully made We see that God's work in omniscience, omnipresence, it's linked to his work as creator. And right here is where God teaches us how much he values life. The human life is wonderful. It is the expression of God's image. Beloved, as we close today, I know some of you, maybe when I started the sermon, said, Adam, I thought we were going through Proverbs. Where is Proverbs today? Well, Proverbs is going to be our conclusion today. A few moments ago, our brother Ladd read from Proverbs 24. I want to read that text one more time. This is Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. This is a call to Christians today. Listen closely to the text. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Beloved, in this nation, right here in the city of Charlotte, there are those who are being taken away to death. And God calls us to strive to rescue them. Why? Because he values life. Right here in the city of Charlotte, there are those who are headed to the slaughter, as this text says, and God calls us to hold them back. Why? Because He values life. This Saturday, as Dan mentioned a moment ago, we have an opportunity as a church to come together to support one of our local missions in Love Life. Will you consider praying this Wednesday? Will you consider coming out this coming Saturday. You know, last Monday was great. 
if you were there. Do you know there were over 100 people from this church who showed up at Highway 55 to eat burgers and fries for the purpose of missions? Teve was number 100. <laughs> I think we reached about 109. And that was awesome because a lot of that money is going toward the mission trip to Belize this summer. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had the same type of outpouring this Saturday? We have an opportunity as a church to come together for the ministry of presence and prayer to stand in the gap for the unborn, and not only for the unborn, but for their mamas and daddies who need Jesus. This is an opportunity to pray and and be involved in one of our missions and walk for something that God says is valuable in His sight, fearfully and wonderfully made lives in the womb of the mother. Would you consider coming out this Saturday? I'll be there. I'd love for you to come with me because when we boil it down, this is all about the gospel. This is about an opportunity to stand in the gap and pray for these folks to tell them what God says about life to be the light for the Lord Jesus Christ. But more importantly than that is to show them that in Jesus Christ there is healing, there is restoration, there is forgiveness of sins. You might be here today and maybe you've had an abortion. I've got good news for you. Jesus loves you and there is healing and restoration in Christ and knowing Him. Listen, every single person in this room, starting with me, we're sinners before God. Every one of us are separated from God because of what we've done. Every one of us needs the grace of God. I offer to you not me, but Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins to give us life in his name, to forgive us our sins and to restore us to God. Jesus, the one who will wipe away every tear on that day. Jesus, the one who will make all things new. The one who takes something broken and restores it to life. These children, these mothers, these fathers, all of us here today, we need Jesus and we need to show the world Jesus Christ. Pray about this, think about this, and I challenge you, come with me this Saturday at 9 o'clock. The address is in your newsletter, it's in your bulletin. Fill out the card, the chase is in the back. We have people who can give you more instruction about this, but this is an opportunity for local missions this week. Let's consider all these things this day, God's omniscience, his, his presence with us, and how that God who knows all things and is everywhere is so loving that he makes the life in the womb. I'll finish with this. What's amazing about this psalm, when you, when you sit and you think about it, you realize, man, I now realize that God knows everything about me, I realize that God is always with me. I can never escape his presence. Yet I realize that that same God loves me anyway. That God knows me, and yet he still loves me. That's what's amazing about our God. Pray with me, please.